Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. On DAB, online, on the app, and on your smart speaker, this is My Sporting Life on Talk Sports. I'm Paul Coit, and in this edition of My Sporting Life, one of world football's greatest ever strikers. The son of a master baker, born in Göppingen in the south of then West Germany on the 30th of July 1964, he rose through the ranks of the Bundesliga with Stuttgart, where he became the league's top goalscorer and German Player of the Year. In 1989, he became one of Italy's most popular players, signing for Inter Milan, winning the UEFA Cup in 1991, and from there, the glamour of Monte Carlo and two years at Monaco, and then signing for Tottenham Hotspur. One season there, winning Footballer of the Year in 1995, scored 30 goals, invented the diving goal celebration, and even had a Madden to Swords waxwork commissioned. It was short-lived, though, as Bayern Munich came calling, and in his two seasons there, top goalscorer twice, and Bundesliga winner in 1997. A brief move to Italy followed before ending his club career back at Spurs and helping the club avoid relegation in 1998. He played 108 games for Germany, winning the World Cup in 1990 and managed his country from 2004 to 2006. Joining me for my sporting life from his home in California, the great Jürgen Klinsmann. How are you, Jürgen? Good. How are you doing? I'm so well. <laughs> Listen, it's great to have you. If we can go way back to when you were a kid, you one of four sons. So was it a footballing family? Was it a sporting family? You came from? Yeah, I would say a sporting family. My, my father was a gymnast and a, a bicycle um, person and uh, very athletic. Um, he was a bit short, but he was strong, very strong guy. You know, he did always uh, pull-ups on the door frame for fun <laughs> so so he, and, and i have three brothers uh, one played football as well and one was a track and field uh person and uh and the other di- uh, did the martial arts so there was always sports in our family so when did you realize how good you were because i, I know you played from when you were a young age and i know the story didn't you did you score like 16 goals in one game when you were a kid yeah, in the under 10 in my local, uh, um, yeah, it was a small town of about 4,000 people where I grew up in. And uh, yeah, it was one game coming up and it ended 20, 20 to nil. And I scored 16 goals in 40 minutes. And, uh, and I think in that, because I, I kept track when I started at the age of eight, my, my dad gave me, um, I called it the record book. Yeah. He uh, wrote a nice uh, uh, phrase into it and, uh, and he said, keep track of all your uh, games and uh, maybe something special will happen. And uh, so from the very beginning on through our entire youth career, I, I tracked every game. I, I put down the results, the, the, the team that we played against and the goals that I scored. 
Uh, and uh, so it ended up in that season where I scored 16 goals. I had 106 goals in one season. Not bad, <laughs> not bad. I've, I've got to say, though, and, and, and forgive me if I don't think I'm wrong, but I would guess it was a very stable family that you grew up in because even as I know you now, um, you know, you're very straight down the line, you're very kind, you're very friendly, and and it sounds like it came from good upbringing because, the, the, of course, the story is, is very well known about uh, your father that had said, you know, I want you to train as a baker like me so there's something to fall back on. And you still did that even though you were playing football at a high level, right? Yeah, I think it's, it goes all down to uh, to the parents and to the family environment that we, we grew up in a in a very small uh, town bakery. And, and uh, when I got the opportunity to sign a professional contract at the age of 16, my, my father basically had to sign that contract. Uh, uh, but I had to leave school then for that and after 10th grade. And, and he said, well, you need something to, to go back on. If things don't turn out the right way, you get injured or something. You know, it just sure. doesn't work. And so I, I got a degree as a, as a baker. Uh, went through that for two and a half years. So I got up at three in the morning and then at uh, eight in the morning, he let me go to, to go to training and train with a second division team uh, in Stuttgart. And uh, that's where I learned my trade. And, and I think it, it always falls back on, on your environment and the people that are around you and, and especially the family, obviously. And uh, so I, I appreciate everything my parents did for me. So at what point did he say, you know what, Jürgen, I think you've got a future in this business. Did, did you have to lift the World Cup <laughs> before he said, OK, the bakery is not going to be your thing? Yeah, pretty much, because <laughs> it's still when I, signed, when I signed my first bigger contract, I moved from that small club, Stuttgart Kicker second division to yeah. the big one, VFB Stuttgart, obviously. They just, they just won the German title in that year. Um, he still came back and asked and asked me if I need money for gas. Oh, that's great. That's so, <laughs> so sweet. He, he couldn't comprehend that. And I said, no, don't that. They, they give me a lot of money to play in that team. So I don't need money anymore for gas. I'm, I'm all good. Uh, but he kind of came back to me because he couldn't um, yeah, comprehend the, the, the amount of money, basically, yeah. that was for, for him uh, unheard of. And he didn't really believe it. Um, but then later on, obviously, when I kept moving away and went to Italy then and, and winning the World Cup, then he, he understood, okay, he doesn't need uh, my financial support anymore. I've got to ask you, though, you, you still, you can still cook the pretzels, though, right? The magic's still there with the pretzels, still your speciality? Absolutely. Yeah, no, no problem at all. Okay. So it's 1982 then, and the family moves 30 miles to Stuttgart. Uh, for your dad's new bakery and you signed your first professional contract with the second division side Stuttgart Kickers. Now, is this where you met Horst Ullmann? Horst Ullmann, uh, one of Germany's finest ever sprint coaches who I know was a huge influence on your career because speed was so important in your game. Yeah, that's correct, Paul. I, my, my older brother, as I mentioned before, was a track and fielder, a decathlete actually. And when I played second division for the smaller Stuttgart team, the Stuttgart Kickers, I... Uh, he watched it and he said, well, you're losing far too much energy. Your run, running style is not good enough. And that's why you're getting tired towards the end. Yeah. Uh, you, you need to, to train uh, that specifically. And he as a track and fielder. had his coach and his coach, his name, Horst Allmann, um, was the, the top uh, coach of the German sprinters at that time. And uh, uh, so he said, well, if you, if you do two extra sessions a week with me specifically just for speed training, I get you much faster. And we measured it before. I was a 12.0 over 100 meters. 
in the beginning and a year later, literally a year later, we measured and I was down to 11.0. So I improved one second over the 100 meters just by additional training. And, and that became a little bit my trademark because I could run uh, people out of gas, not only sure. kind of distance, but also then sprinting wise. And it obviously, it, it helped me to score a lot more goals than I was maybe otherwise. <laughs> sure, yeah, well, well, without doubt. Um, see, by the, you're moving up and as you move along, is there a point where you think, yeah, this is really falling into place? And also you felt that each level you moved up to, you felt not only comfortable, but thought, well, you know what, I'm maybe better than the people that I'm playing with. Um, yeah, I mean, I just took it one one step at a time, really kind of uh, realizing second division and then first division. And then suddenly you get in the focus for the national team. And uh, in the early 90s, obviously the league, um, that you wanted to be or every top class player was around the world was Italy. You know, with Diego, Amanda, Maradona, Careca, Alemão, Gullis, Van Basten, all these guys, Mateos, they, they started to kind of uh, play late 80s then in, in Italy. And uh, and I think I just realized that then when I got the offer on the table by uh, from Inter Milan, they came up to to my little town, Geisling, outside of Stuttgart, you know, the general manager, and then put down a, uh, a piece of paper with a, an offer that for me was kind of out of the world. <laughs> and uh, um, that's when I really kind of understood, okay, you know, this is going really to the top level. And, and I was very proud of it, but also um, I was realistic. I knew it's going to be difficult and and you have to learn how to adjust to different places very quickly, not only on the field, you know, with your game and with the teammates, but also off the field. And that experience probably going from Stuttgart to Milan um, for me was the most important step in my life because I, me as a German, I had to learn to live a different culture and accept that culture mm -hmm. and, and, and learn that language. Um, and especially I had to learn the people the way they are. And uh, that helped me tremendously for my entire life because then I came, became like a little bit of a globetrotter and moved all the way, you know, to different places. But culturally, the biggest lessons, uh, lesson the Italians gave me was take us the way we are and you will have a good time. A few games I want to mention from, uh, from Italian 90. One was the Netherlands. Now, they, they'd uh, beaten you, of course, in the Euros a couple of years before. Uh, there was that very famous or infamous moment uh, with Frank Rijkaard and Rudy, Rudy Voller. Uh, Rudy gets sent off because Frank Rijkaard had spat at him. And at this point, you know, you're the lone striker. And this is still said to this day, one of the great striker performances was what you did on that day. Now, what do you remember about what happened? Well, I've, obviously, you know, Rudy Voller got sent off uh, absolutely for the wrong reasons because he hasn't done anything there sure. but the, the the referee kind of uh, picked on both of them and and uh suddenly i was there by myself and uh i think it damaged holland more because as a right as a an amazing defender uh, th those days he left a hole he left a hole in that uh, defensive shape uh, from the, from the dutch team and i found a lot of space and i love running and uh, so I, I took all that space in the world, and, and uh, that's why I 
probably had one of my best games in my career. Is it, is it true that you passed out afterwards because you were so exhausted because you just ran and ran and ran? <laughs> no, I didn't pass out. Oh, I've heard that story. <laughs> no. Of course no. I didn't. No, of maybe course after, I didn't. <laughs> maybe, maybe after the third beer later. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the England semi-final. Did, does it mean as much? Still, I mean, we talk about, well, you know, England have played in, in Euro finals now, but still, for those that remember, uh, the semi-final against you uh, in Italia 90. Uh, everybody remembers everything about it. Is it the same for you or is it not? No, it, it meant a lot to us as well. And it always means a lot uh, to all Germans when we play England and when we have that rivalry. And, and also when we have this past in, 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 in kind of in common that we talk about it. Um, and I always repeated myself over the, the decades, you know, that we were on the luckier end uh, with the penalty shootout. Uh, it had, could have gone both ways. You know, you know, England hit the post twice. We hit the post. I had a huge chance right before the end of the game. Yeah. You know, in regular time, a header that I should have buried, you know, blindly, blindly. I was so, so mad at myself that I didn't score that opportunity. Um, but it's a special rivalry. And I think over the... Uh, the decades, people really appreciate it because they are always when we when we play England, they know that's gonna be it's gonna be a really tight outcome. It's gonna be drama involved, uh, and uh, and people will discuss it up and down. You know the lineups and uh, yeah, and and uh, everybody. Obviously, we have 80 million people in in Germany. It's 80 million uh, head coaches, you know, managers. Of course, <laughs> of course there is. So- same here, and, uh, and and then we get to the final, and it's Argentina who beat host Italy in the semi-final, which also went to penalties, and facing the world's greatest footballer, Diego Maradona, and also where those accusations of diving began as well. It's all coming up next on My Sporting Life with Jürgen Klinsmann. My Sporting Life, Paul Coit in conversation with Jürgen Klinsmann on Talk Sports. So... Jürgen's made his name as Germany's best striker with Stuttgart and now the San Siro with Inter Milan and now finds himself on the 8th of July 1990 in the World Cup final against Argentina. And a man, I, I guess you knew very well, Jürgen, Diego Maradona. Yeah, I got to know him a little bit better over the years. You know, we had many games Inter Milan against Napoli. I played a UEFA Cup final with Stuttgart against Napoli. We lost that mm-hmm. one against him. I mean, he was just a, a, an unbelievable player. I mean, there's obviously the story about Diego on the field and there's the off the field uh, stories, you know, that are very sad in a certain way. But he's been uh, always on the field. And when I met him off the field, a super friendly personality, a big heart, you know, a little bit crazy, no doubt about it. Uh, and that's why he went uh, kind of the wrong uh, tracks once in a while. Um, but a fantastic personality, but he was a player on his own level. And obviously his technique, it was insane. We, I, I remember my UEFA Cup final with Stuttgart against him. The warm-up he did, you know, to the music Life is Life became legendary on YouTube. I don't know how many million hits on YouTube. And we players were standing on the other side. Try, we tried to warm up, but actually we were, <laughs> we were actually just watching Maradona juggling the ball with open shoelaces and, uh, and, and in the rhythm of Life is Life, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, Pretty much today, you can already say that we lost the game already during the warm-up. <laughs> well, it, it certainly didn't happen in the final, even though Maradona pretty much took Argentina there single-handedly. Uh, it wasn't a classic, so but there is one thing I want to mention, and this is when it's nil-nil, 65th minute of the game, 
a moment that almost defines your career for the worse, I guess, Jürgen. You go running in towards goal, and as you do, defender Pedro Monson takes you out with a, with a really high tackle. That's Monson for dieses foul from Platzflug. You go oh, flying is, even higher than that, and he gets sent off. Now, I know you had a 15-centimetre cash left in your shin, but I guess that's when the Jürgen Klinsmann diving accusations began, right? Yeah, I mean, when I watched it, I mean, I got that cut about 15 centimeters. But when I watched it, I also realized, you know, that I kind of, I don't know, there, there was just a body reaction the way I fell then. And it looked a little bit theoretic, uh, like a theater. Piece. It was very high. It <laughs> yeah. was, it was yeah. a high. Yeah. It was high. Yeah. And I thought that yeah, it looked a bit awkward. I agree to that. <laughs> but then, I mean, when the diver story came up, then on uh, uh, my reception, basically in England, coming from AS Monaco to to Spurs, I, I was surprised. I was caught on the wrong foot. But I I thought, okay, how how did that? So people explained it to me. It had to do with the '90 World Cup. Sure. Um, and uh, um, so they said, you know, just uh, I had a friend actually living in uh, on the Côte d'Azur, there close to Monaco, and he just simply said. You gotta take the English humor, that spirit, and and you gotta put put something on top of it. You know that's how the English humor is. You know they yeah. don't expect you um, to don't be offended. Then you lost it. Then you lost. You know so you gotta come out with a joke or something. That's why I came up there with uh, presenting uh, myself with uh, the diving school in London at the, my press conference, and I had actually uh, uh, snorkeling goggles in my backpack, but I, <laughs> Did but I didn't I didn't put them on the table then. But it helped me, and then it came the brilliant idea by Teddy Sheringham, obviously in the my first game in the Premier League yeah. against Sheffield Wednesday, when he said uh, before the game, "Hey, uh, you know, if you really score one." Uh, Goal in your opening game here, then we are going to do a dive. Well, we'll we'll get onto that. We'll get onto that in just a second. But winning the World Cup is there? Is it a feeling of of utter jubilation? Is it the greatest feeling? And then you think, where do I go from here? Because I hear that. I mean, I mean, you won uh, Olympic medal, of course, playing for 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 Germany uh, over in Seoul. But winning that World Cup is the ultimate for any footballer. So, are you thinking, I don't know where I go from here, or is there relief? Is there a jubilation? What does it feel lifting the World Cup? Um, I, I think you just simply don't understand what happened in that moment. I mean, yes, you you party, yes, you are happy, um, and it's something very special. You, you know that, but you have no understanding what you actually achieved because you are too young for that, and uh, um, it's overwhelming, as simply as that. So you will only understand the dynamic or the 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 the, the, the real appreciation of winning a World Cup when your career is over. And, and answer this for me as every English football fan, whenever we play Germany, and we'd always felt that for all these years, there's Germany, you'd always have something more. You know, we, we could never quite get over the line. Is it something? Is it something in the German psyche? Is it the quality of the players? But even in penalty shootouts and over the years, that we would just never quite beat you. And, and, and it would just frustrate the hell over English uh, supporters. What is it? You just, yeah, but you just did it in the Euros. Well, I'm looking back to when you were playing. Looking back a little bit. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, there is a, a natural um, kind of a natural healthy confidence level um, in our kind of DNA, and it comes from the past. It obviously it's built by the past, mm. and and I think you know if you look at our um, history, the. Um, after World War II, which was devastating for everyone around the world, 
Um, the World Cup in 1954 that uh, the German team uh, won there was the first time, and my father explained that many times to me, where the Germans kind of had a feeling that we can stand tall again. Yeah. We can kind of show our face again after the devastation of World War II. And then came the 74 in a moment where there was a worldwide crisis, uh, uh, oil crisis, then the 72 Olympics with the, with, uh, the incidents there, the yeah. horrible ones. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and it came just together in the 74 World Cup where the Germans had an, an incredible, incredible team of quality with Franz Beckenbauer leading that team and Gerd Müller scoring all the goals and, and so forth. And our team in 1990 basically became the face of the reunification well, after the World Cup, then you stay in Italy with Inter, uh, but the manager Giovanni Trapattoni leaves, the man that signed you. That then affects the side, came eighth in Serie A in 1992. You're not scoring as many goals under new manager Corrado Arrico. So I'm guessing the relationship between the two of you wasn't so good. Um, no, actually not. It worked out on a personal level really well. Yeah. I, I adored him. But I, in that year, I basically AC Milan stole my striking partner, Aldo Serena, was also an Italian international player. Yeah. Um, got him basically on board, and I was left alone up front. And, uh, uh, and then on top of that, our key player at those days, Lothar Mateus, got badly injured. He uh, uh, tore his uh, Achilles tendon. Mm. And so I had no support up front anymore. I got more and more frustrated. I didn't score the goals I should have scored. Um, and so it turned into a, a negative year in a certain way. So time to leave then. Was it your decision? You just thought, you know, I, I want to move somewhere else. And, and how do you decide where you're going to go at this point? Um, yeah, it was my decision. I went to the president, the owner of uh, Inter Milan, um, uh, and, uh, and asked him politely if it's okay if I move on. And I promised him it's not, I'm not going to go to another Italian team. Yeah. This is the, the team in Italy that I wanted to play for. Um, and, uh, and he said, no problem, we'll, we'll, we'll check it out. And uh, uh, so he came up and suddenly uh, AS Monaco knocked at the door. Before it was Paris, then AS Monaco and he said, let's go down there. Where Arsene Wenger was the manager those days. Yeah. And so we took actually the helicopter from Milan to Monaco and went there and we had negotiations. And and, I mean, it was all very easy. Um, And I had the the offer to play up front with George Weah. Those days, one of the top strikers Mm -hmm. there. And Arsene said, yeah, I want you two playing up front. And after one year playing all by myself, I said, this is it. This is uh, winning the lottery. You know, George (laughs) Weah and myself up front. Um, so I signed the contract. I go the next day uh, um, to Monaco and uh, George Weah gets sold to Paris Saint-Germain. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? How long? And about I, six hours? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I went right away to Arsene. I said, Arsene, you promised me I can play up front with George Weah. And I said, Jürgen, if I would have told you that we sell him right away, then you would have never signed the contract. I said, yeah, that's right. I wouldn't have signed the contract. And, but then when the deal was signed and I, and I spent two years with Arsene Wenger in Monaco. I can imagine every manager um, saying to you, well, you're playing up front, but we saw you play against the Netherlands up front and it worked absolutely fine. So you can surely do it again. You'd probably never walk again if you did it that way. Did you enjoy your time in Monaco living in Monte Carlo? Yeah, I did. Really, I did. I think uh, French football, especially on a technically on a technical side, is very, very good football. Um, good teams, very competitive, uh, also very uh, physical here and there. I got some real kind of experiences there with yeah. some defenders. 
Um, and uh, no, I had a fantastic time. I had with Arsene Wenger, um, like uh, an amazing, not only manager, but almost like a philosopher of life, a person that looks far beyond the football pitch. Um, I learned a lot from him in these two years. Um, and then uh, uh, I wanted to move on. I, I mean, it's just uh, the fact was that uh, the games at home maybe were seen by five, six thousand people. Uh, and only the games are sold out against Paris Saint-Germain and against Olympique Marseille. Those are the two main ones. And obviously, when you play Champions League, then you have sellout crowds as well. But there are, after two years, I felt that, that, that there's more to it. You know, I need to, and I need to move on. I get then a little bit nervous. And then I went to Arsene and I said, Arsene, it's time for me to, to go. We had another year contract. Yeah. And he says, well, if you get me a club that uh, spends a little bit of money for you, then I let you go. I was already um, 30 years by then. Sure. I'm Paul Coit, and my sporting life continues with Jürgen Klinsmann and why he swapped the glamour and Ferraris of Monte Carlo for London N17 and a beat-up VW Beetle. Stay with us. Life is life. My Sporting Life with Jürgen Klinsmann on Talk Sports. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. My Sporting Life. Paul Coit's in conversation with Jürgen Klinsmann on Talk Sports. It's 1994, and Jürgen's played for Stuttgart in Germany, Inter Milan in Italy, and now with Monaco, and it seems he's got itchy feet again, and now London's beckoning. So, Jürgen, it's almost like you're a footballing nomad. You spend a fairly short time at each club. Was there something within you that felt like you wanted to stay longer somewhere that you could truly call your footballing home? Or, or, or did you never really feel that way? Um, no, for me, it was not a question of feeling at home. For me, it was more the question of um, what can I learn? What, what is next? What is, what, what is my next uh, experience? Yeah. I mean, I, when I had the feeling that, okay, I kind of get it. I know the place. I know the language. I know the people. It's kind of everything settles in a certain way. Then I got bored. <laughs> <It's just me. laughs> right. then, then I got bored. I said, ah, there, can, there, needs, there needs to be more than that, you know? And then, and then I went and, uh, and asked the chairman, whoever it was at whatever time it was, 
can I move on? <laughs> okay. Well, the next one then, which we'd always say was your home, um, Tottenham Hotspur. So Tottenham Hotspur, not in a great way. Uh, out of the FA Cup, the dock 12 points for financial irregularities. Uh, and as a Spurs fan, Jürgen, I've got to tell you, at that time, we needed a hero. And then you come on in this white horse and the suit of armour. How on earth did this happen? It happened that um, after the World Cup 94 in, um, in the United States, I got back then to Monaco. Obviously, I still had a year to stay and had my, my relationship with Arsene. Um, and I thought, well, let's see what, what comes up. I scored five goals in the World Cup. I know if I get two more games, I would have maybe become top scorer of the World Cup, but unfortunately be left in the quarterfinals <laughs> with Germany there. Yeah. And uh, um, so then then I, I had an offer from an Italian club, but Italian, Italy I did already. I had an offer actually from, from a Spanish club. And uh, uh, and then suddenly I got a phone call and it's Alan Sugar on the phone. Did you know who he was? Yeah, he explained himself right away. I'm the chairman of Spurs. And I said, nice to meet you. And uh, I'm actually here in, in Monte Carlo uh, on my yacht. You know, is there any chance we can meet up for a coffee? And I said, oh, that's 200 yards away from me because mm. I live in an apartment building. Just, I mean, everything is very small. It's a small little uh, village. And uh, uh, so we had a uh, cappuccino and over two hours we discussed things and the deal was done. I called Arsene. I went over to the club. He came with me and they shook hands. And, uh, and uh, yeah, things were very easy. And, and suddenly I was uh, a Spurs player. So you come into Spurs. Everybody is, is taken everybody by surprise. And the press conference. Of course, like we mentioned earlier, there's the talk of the diving and people think... There was a guy called uh, Anthony Andrew that wrote for The Guardian, you know, why I hate Jürgen Klinsmann coming over. And then you just came over and charmed and disarmed everybody. So that, that press conference was the thing that started it. So were you thinking, i got to bring this up. This is something that I'm aware of and I've got to make a joke about it. Yeah, I did because a friend of mine, as I mentioned... Um, in close to Monte Carlo, he gave me that advice that you always have to top, you know, if you get provoked, if you, somebody, you know, kind of uh, attacks you, then you, you got to learn to deal with that. Don't sure. never be offended. But now in our German culture, if I wouldn't have had the experience already with, with Italy and with friends prior to that, I probably would have been offended and would have responded the wrong way, mm -hmm. you know, and but thankfully I didn't, you know, he gave me that advice and I came up with that joke and I, I won people over. I just wanted to ask you if there's any diving school in London. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you can only win people over in the world of football with your game. Of course. You know, and I knew, OK, you can make a joke at the press conference and get it started. But at the end of the day, what the people expect, especially the Spurs fans expect from me are goals, you know. So but in that in that kind of area i felt confident because obviously I, I i i had the previous experiences at top clubs and 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 uh, i was so eager to prove my point in the premier league which i always adored and watched on tv uh, and then being in london was for me the real adventure you know discovering london discovering you know the, the area of tottenham you know teddy shamrock gary member they took me out on on high road they took me out for fish and chips and and, and they introduced me to their lifestyle. It wasn't Monte Carlo, was it, Jürgen, the high road? No, it was. <laughs> thankfully so. Thank, I mean, I enjoyed Monte Carlo. Um, it's a beautiful spot. But for me, uh, this was real life, sure. you know, real life. And, uh, and uh, I, I learned basically the way the Spurs 
fans think, what their philosophy is, what they want to see from their team. Uh, and I, I felt after a couple of weeks, like, this is your place. Mm -hmm. This is where you belong mm -hmm. because this is exactly how I play my game and actually also how I live my life. You know, I'm not uh, driven by uh, materialism or things and whatever, you know, I'm driven by football. You know, and that's how the, the Spurs fans are driven by football. They are very knowledgeable. They know when to get loud. They know when to cheer the team on. They know when there's a bad moment, we are struggling, and suddenly they become louder and louder. And that that kind of atmosphere at White Hart Lane, I just, I really literally sucked it all up. And I said, this is, this is it. This is how I want to play my game. So the, the diving celebration, the first game away, Sheffield Wednesday, of course, a great goal. How was that planned? Was it you? Was it Teddy? Was it the rest of the team? Uh, was it something that just happened naturally? Tell me about it, Jürgen, because people still do it today. I uh, know it's all Teddy's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Anderson looks to pick out Klinsmann. There is the goal, the debut goal for Jürgen Klinsmann. And the celebration to match. Welcome to the Premiership, Jürgen Klinsmann. So we drive up to the stadium and there are thousands of, of, of Sheffield Wednesday fans in front of the stand, uh, outside basically at the gates. And we're driving through with the bus and they hold up signs with 5.8, 5.9, 5.7. Right. Basically saying, you know, that the, the diver comes, you know, we give him, give him a, a welcome here. And and the guys, the lads in the bus, on the bus, they, 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 uh, they freaked out. They were laughing. I mean, we were just laughing. Is this... And then Teddy had that idea, Jürgen, you know what? You you score a goal here today. Yeah. We are gonna we're gonna do that dive. And then after that happened, then for the second game we played at home against Everton. Everton yeah. yeah, it happened that then uh, uh, again Teddy came back to me and says, Oh my 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 little son, you know, Charlie, who obviously had his own career then later on and is all adult, <laughs> but at that time he was a, a, a cute little kid, and he said, Dad, you have to tell Jürgen, if he scores again, he has to dive again because all the kids in the parks now, wherever we play, we score, we dive. You know, that's the rule. And uh, uh, that was hilarious. And then they scored a bicycle goal, a uh, bicycle kick goal against Everton. It topped it all up. But the funny thing is, is when I mentioned on Twitter that I was going to speak to you, Jürgen, the amount of people that sent me messages, and most of them were saying, you know, tell him that my mum is still angry because my school uniform got so covered in mud because we were all doing it at school all the time. So you're responsible for a lot of school uniforms, Mr. Klinsman. <laughs> Apologise. <laughs> so how was it that that famous attacking five the famous five which should have struck fear into any defense uh which was you and teddy sheringham nicky barmby darren anderton uh, and the two romanians illy dimitrescu and chica popescu uh, unfortunately it, it didn't work out in the end as far as uh the way the football and way aussie Ardila set things up there was that famous five you scored 11 in 10 and everything looked like it was gonna be terrific but unfortunately the team were just shipping too many goals at the time weren't they yeah, we didn't get consistent enough in our defend, uh, defending. And uh, the first thing that Jerry Francis obviously did, he tried to kind of play the same back, back line uh, week in, week out and give us a bit more um, yeah, continuity. I felt really bad for Aussie because it, it's, it's a fantastic personality, very, very good manager. Yeah. But just that kind of the balance was not there in that moment, in those months. 
So we conceded just too many goals. We scored many, but we conceded too many. <laughs> and uh, um, But I will never forget those months working with Aussie, and I really adore him. And Jerry then came in, he stabilized the things, you know, defensively, and then step-by-step step climbed up uh, in the table of, of, of the league. And and uh, it's, it's, it's been a fascinating year because Alan Sugar, he got us back into the FA Cup. Uh, we had a tremendous FA Cup run all the way till uh, the semifinals. Yeah. And, uh, um, and he could have got it down to six points deduction instead of 12. So I think we finished sixth or seventh, if I'm not mistaken. And, and uh, no, it was uh, uh, an amazing, amazing experience. Well, you won the Footballer of the Year that year. Um, you went from villain to hero. I mean, you don't have to say this because I'll tell you it's true. Everybody loved you. Everybody loved watching Jurgen Klinsmann play. Uh, I don't think anybody had had such an effect, certainly playing for Tottenham Hotspur in such a short space of time. And, and you even got a waxwork as well, didn't you, Jurgen? And uh, Madame Tussauds? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's quite special for a German. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it just shows how important that year was. Um, and and also the, the, the famous, and you mentioned about materialistic things, and the other thing that a lot of people mention was the old VW Beetle. You know, you'd get stars that turn up in all these fast cars, and, and you would turn up. Now, was it something, was it trying to make a point? Or was it just something that you just like driving this car? And, you know, you didn't need any other big flash car. No, I had uh, big cars as well. You know, <laughs> Don't I had, ruin it for me. <laughs> but not, not in, in London at that time. So when I played for Inter, I had a, a, a Porsche as well. Yeah. Um, but but uh, for me, a car was always kind of going from A to B. So, Jürgen, the thing is, the question we all want to know is everything was great. Okay, you, you probably didn't win anything, but I imagine it's probably some of the most fun football in, of your career and you're enjoying your life in London. So why did you decide to go after a year? That's, yeah, very simple because uh, Franz Beckenbauer called. <laughs> when, when the Kaiser Becken, calls, you don't, you don't put it When the Kaiser right? calls, you cannot say no. It's, it's done in 10 seconds. So he called, uh, sitting in my little muse house in Hampstead, and uh, oh, it's Franz Beckenbauer, Bayern Munich. Um, we want you here. Mm. Uh, so it's my, my wife at that moment was sitting next to me and she just saw my face and uh, she knew that, okay, we got to go. Um, and uh, uh, so that one, the one point is that Beckenbauer, because the other point is you're running out of gas with uh, winning titles. I knew at that point that the Spurs team didn't have the quality yet you know, to go for titles. Sure. Uh, we were a good team, I think, between spot, I would say, five to eight. Uh, that would have been kind of reality. Um, but I'm not going to win any titles here. So, except maybe the FA Cup. And uh, and so I knew if you want to win a couple of trophies more and you're running out of time, you're 31 years old now, um, you got to go. And uh, that's what I told Alan Sugar. Then I said, I'm, I'm sorry, I got to go. I mean, um I would, would like to have a couple of more trophies somewhere in my closet. Was it only Bayern Munich and Franz Beckenbauer that would have turned your head? W would it have been anywhere else? No, no, it was it was that specific uh, situation because when, when Franz Beckenbauer calls or, or Bayern Munich in general calls a German player and, and says you are on top of the list, absolutely on top of the list, mm -hmm. you're, you're number one target for us for the next season, it's, it's pretty much impossible to say no. Uh, and that's uh, how I felt in that moment. And uh, um, yeah, and, and it uh, turned out the way I expected it. You know, you go there, you win the German title, you win the UEFA Cup. Um, 
Now, from a lifestyle point of view, I had to realize going back to Germany that I was already kind of throughout the years became a different person. I became a far more uh, a multicultural person. Sure. I'm not German-German anymore. And I had my struggles. I had my struggles uh, with uh, a lot that I saw then in Germany and, and in Bavaria and uh, with the club and how they do things. And uh, so it was it was very successful time, but it was not the happiest time. Jürgen Klinsmann. And more from his story at Bayern Munich, heading back to Spurs and then becoming a manager in the final part of My Sporting Life. Coming up next. My Sporting Life. Paul Coitz in conversation with Jürgen Klinsmann on Talk Sports. As well as being one of the world's greatest strikers, Jürgen's like a footballing nomad, spending no more than a couple of years at each club in each country. Winning medals, breaking records, but learning languages and taking in new cultures wherever he goes. From Stuttgart to Milan, from Monte Carlo to London, but Franz Beckenbauer called and it was time to head home. But being a staunch Stuttgart fan, Jürgen, didn't your dad say to you, you can go anywhere, but not by Munich? Yeah, yeah, he, and I had to I had to tell him that. I said that I have now this offer from uh, from Kaiser Franz and Bayern Munich, and uh, he says, you know, it's, if that's what you're gonna do, you gotta do it. Yeah. Who was it harder uh, to ask? Was it harder to tell Alan Sugar you were leaving or your dad? No, it was harder, Alan Sugar. I mean, <laughs> okay. because I felt, I mean, I, I felt at home. I felt part of the Spurs family, and and I, I felt very privileged to represent that that team and. And I knew that, you know, it's, it's going to be a big blow for a lot of people. Um, but I said, you know, you're 31, you have a couple of years to go. Yeah. If you want to, want to win something, you know, going forward, then you, you got to go. And it turned out the right decision, uh, definitely from a football perspective. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, but still, I mean, I still came back then. Logical thinking, you know, you want to win a couple of titles, you got to listen to the Kaiser and and win some titles. Hugely successful, went well there, but from what you're saying, did it suit you, Jürgen? No, it did not suit me, uh, 100% for sure. I mean, in certain ways, yes, you know, because I'm driven by uh, the ambition of uh, um, of winning and, and of scoring goals as a player. Um, on a personal level, there were things that were, where I didn't match with my... Uh, experience that I made before abroad and and uh, and the way I grew up. Uh, so so here and there culturally I clashed with them. Um, I had arguments. I lost a lot of energy on on kind of uh, things that are really not important at all. Sure. And so I took I took my decision after two years. Then basically winning the German title <laughs> um, to to move on again. Yeah. So you did, and it's 1997. Then the next move. Uh, Jürgen is back to Italy, isn't it, with Argentinian World Cup winning manager Cesar Minotti, who then soon left to be replaced by Yugoslav Vujadin Boskov. I know you weren't there much longer afterwards, so so how was that relationship? It turned out to be not a good match in, in just in a few days. Uh, I went to the president, uh, Mantovani, at those days and uh, told him, listen, we had a verbal agreement. If things don't turn out for whatever reason, we can always talk. And he says, yep, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, he understood it. I said, I'm a half a year away from the World Cup in France, which is for me a big deal as captain. Um, and he says, you know, if you find a team, you know, let me know. And and uh, and so we got in touch with Spurs and Christian Gross, the 
Swiss manager those days was there and and Spurs was second of the bottom. So I thought, you know, they could kind of maybe not that they need my help, but maybe they appreciate my help. Jürgen, Jürgen, and, they and, needed and, your and, help, trust me. Yeah, but I needed help too. Sure. Because I came back from a, an injury and yeah. I needed to get back in the flow and and it did, things didn't turn out the way I hoped. So even if Genoa as a, as a place has been fantastic, it's really, really nice uh, place in Italy. But so we, we, made, we, we did that overnight. So just right after Christmas there, in 97, uh, you know, we made that move uh, back, back, back home to White Hart Lane. And uh, um, yeah, and I was then uh, honored to help out and, and, uh, and the, the club helped me out and I, and I could go. Uh, so we, we, get, we moved away from the relegation zone step by step. And by the end of the season, I could prepare for the World Cup in a quiet way and play my last World Cup then in France. Was it planned then that you were going to retire, that this was going to be the end of club football and then after the World Cup that that would be you finished? How long did you know that? No, I think those kind of matured in that in that year, so step by step, because uh, we had our, at that time uh, our son Jonathan was born in 97 in yeah. Munich still, um, and uh, and I just wanted to have time for, for him. Uh, and we realised if the footballer's life is not ideal, you know, to... To have, to have kids and, and them growing up, they need, you know, the, the parents around. Uh, so it more and more matured in my mind that, okay, maybe 98 World Cup in France uh, is the final point. What a way to go at Spurs, though. That, that Wimbledon 6-2 that still people talk about and you scoring four goals right towards the end of the season, which, which kept Spurs up. Now, Klinsman for a fourth! <laughs> Some thought he was past it. I think he's proved a point. They're walking in the Klinsman Wonderland. And then the last game against Southampton, you score your final goal. And of course, you do the celebration as well, don't you? But then knowing that it is going to be the final club game, you know, I thought I had to do it. You absolutely I. had to do it. You <laughs> absolutely had to do it. Management, though, was it always the plan to go into management? Because there's not many people that go straight into their first job and, and the national team, which is what you did at Germany and, and, and had success there, third in the World Cup. Was it something, management, that also suited you? Um, because I, I see you as uh, a very friendly and a very nice man and, you know, and I love you to death, Jürgen, but I can't imagine you really dishing it out or am I wrong? No, I didn't expect to go into management. I went then obviously 98, the, the, the career was done. We moved to California because yeah. my wife, she's from California. Um, and then I went back to school. I, I took computer lessons, classes, business classes. I just try to figure out. So what is next in my life? Um, so I took also to, to, to stay busy and to have your brain keep on going because it's a, it's a big cut once mm. you, you stop playing. Um, and then uh, it just happened in 2004 that my former manager, Bertie Vogts, was on vacation in, in California with his uh, son. At, and uh, we had a nice dinner and uh, Germany just lost a uh, very early stage in Portugal and the Euros. Mm. And the whole discussion in Germany was about who's becoming the new manager of Germany. And, uh, and he says to me during barbecue, basically, he says, that would be a good job for you. And I said, no, I mean, I live here in California. Life sure. is good in California. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, but he was serious about it. He called the president of the Federation the next day. And uh, uh, two days later, we had a meeting in New York and talked about that possibility. And, uh, and I took it on. I took it on. And uh, so another overnight decision, basically. Incredible. Um, not as fast as on the boat from Alan Sugar. But, <laughs> nearly. Uh, but, but nearly as fast. 
and uh, um, and the next kind of learning piece in, in my in my life came up. And and then Bayern Munich, who would have thought that? Especially the time you'd had there before. So did you feel when you went to Bayern Munich that, you know, I, I want to now do this my way. Now now I'm the boss and I want to do things in a different fashion. But I guess yeah. you're going against the same hierarchy that had the same thoughts, right? Yeah, kind of one part of the club wanted me to come in as the game changer, kind of really kind of the agent, the, the change agent in a certain way. And then I had to realize there's the other side of the club, they don't want change. <laughs> So I came in with all my enthusiasm and my ideas and and uh, and I realized again after a couple yeah. of months I realized oh no it's not going to work out. Yeah yeah. It's yeah. Uh, we are cla- we are clashing all the time um and we have different opinions all over the place. Um so I mean it was it was pretty clear there after after a year that you know we part ways again and and we wish each other good luck. And I'm still, I mean, obviously following the team, following sure. the club, uh, and the city is absolutely gorgeous. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's uh, the beauty of football. Really, is it's all down to people. It's people management. It's 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 if you fit or if you don't fit. Um, it's uh, uh, it's the DNA of every environment. So every club has its a different DNA. Every country has a different DNA. Um, and then you have to realize, as an individual, do I fit into that DNA? Oh, I don't. And finally, one more for you, and and, and that's the Spurs job. Um, I, if you talk, you talk about the DNA and it fits. Would that make you move? Was that something that had been on your mind, especially when managers change, and you think, you know what, that would fit me just perfectly? Because there's a lot of people who would agree with you. Well, the the question is, would you fit the people that are there right now? You know. Right. So when I came uh, to Spurs as a player, I. As you know, as funny as Alan Sugar was, and even with the jersey, we matched. You know, we had we had fun. You know, because he's an entertainer. He's he's a, he's always good for a laugh and and a conversation. So, and and all the people that were in charge at that time. Now, obviously, thirty years later, you know, you have different people in charge. Different people make different decisions, and they they go their route. Um, what remains is still the DNA of the club. And meaning the fans, what they, and also the identity with the players. Uh, but obviously things change. You know, they modernize the club. It's a, the most beautiful stadium you can find around the globe. You know, a, an amazing training center. But the people in charge need to match who you are, and 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 that's why I think we never got together because probably the people that are in charge right now at that club, they don't match basically with me <laughs> well never say never we're all still there never you're never. still there yeah. the dna still together when you look back on on your career highlights for you what, what what's the thing that stands out the most for you um the thing that stands out for me paul is the relationships i was able to build throughout that career you now going through the different countries learning their way of uh, life uh, um learning the languages but also building a network you know, I can go now to, to France, to, to Italy, obviously to England. And, you know, you know people, you share so many memories with them, you appreciate them, you appreciate the fan bases of every club you played for. Um, I'm still in touch with every club I played for yep. in a very good, positive way. Um, and uh, that that's what really stands out. It's the relationships. It's not anymore looking at whatever you won or you lost or whatever. It's really kind of what you emotionally connect with these clubs and it's people it's really people 
Jürgen, it's been fantastic watching you play over these years. And it's an honour to know you as well. And it's so interesting hearing you talk for the last hour. Uh, I think we've all learnt a lot and uh, we all think even more of you than we did before. So thank you so much for your time from California. And it's been great having you on My Sporting Life. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. This is My Sporting Life on Talk Sports. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. <laughs> 